Welcome one and all. I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. In today's episode, we talk about scaling Scrum and the LESS framework, dyslexia and how it can help those performing in agile coaching or Scrum mastery roles, as well as our guest experiences with her career progression as a woman with children. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It is the absolute best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show, folks. Fellow Agilists, welcome to another episode in Season 3 of the Virtually Agile Podcast. As always on the podcast, we aspire for neurodiversity and the amplification of voices that are seldom heard, as well as hearing from established thought leaders. Today's guest describes herself as a modern product development champion and coach. I'm pleased to welcome Rebecca Dainton to the show. Hello. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's okay. So for any, fami- uh, any listeners who aren't familiar with your work, Rebecca, could you please just tell us a little bit more about you and your journey with Agile? Sure. So, um, so yeah, I am a Scrum Master. Um, currently working at PokerStars. Um, I'm working with a couple of um, software engineering teams at the moment. Um, I've been in the agile world now probably for about seven years um, and always been in tech as well, uh, always been in technology. That's kind of like my chosen field and, and where I want to stay, I think. Um, and yeah, I guess my LinkedIn title, um, modern um, product development kind of coach, all that stuff. I guess that's me trying to figure out what a scrum master actually does. Um, I often have a bit of a laugh with my my dad, who I say to him, yeah, I'm a scrum master. And he's like, what is that? like?" So I guess that was me sitting down and thinking, like, what is it I actually do? And yeah, I'm really into modern product development. And I guess the coaching side of it comes from the scrum mastery. Uh, and hopefully I champion it because I believe it's the way forward. So hi. <laughs> Excellent. It's an interesting title. And I, I did, you know, I did note it and it's, it's stuck in my mind. And as you observe, Scrum Mastery as a, a job title doesn't really make a lot of sense for those outside of the Agile sphere. You hear that and you're like, what's a Scrum Master do? I've no idea. Whereas you can say you're somebody who champions good product development, that probably does make more sense. At least people can visualize that a bit further. I'm increasingly interested in the, the notion that should we abandon the title of Scrum Master? And there's a couple of reasons. I'm interested in your thoughts on it. So master, like the master um, can not resonate with people. It suggests a certain, um, not necessarily just mastery of the field and the craft, but maybe like a a subservient nature to the role. But also if we think that uh, scrum master implies scrum only, when actually a scrum master typically is the voice of agile at the team level. And sometimes scrum isn't the, flavor of agile that they are helping their teams with so we're seeing increasingly roles such as agile leader or simply agile coach being used in place of scrum masters so what is your thoughts are you you a fan of the title scrum master do you think we should uh, try something different yeah i think i agree i think like as a scrum master you do you do so much more than just master the scrum framework and kind of teach that and then I guess in my early days, um, I did work for a company that was we were using kind of pure Scrum and Scrum was my first kind of framework that I learned all about. And it's the first framework that we used, um, I guess, with the teams. But yeah, now 
um, I would definitely say like something like an agile coach speaks more to I guess what I do on the day to day and I think you're right like not all teams fit scrum you know scrum doesn't fit all organizations There's so many different frameworks or like you know concepts that we can pull from different agile methodologies so yeah I guess it does kind of just suggest we do scrum and we master scrum and that's kind of what we do for a job but yeah we do we do two, tons more than that and it doesn't fit every organization so yeah I'd be in favor I guess for a, a different title um yeah cause I'm trying I can't really think of any any kind of scenario where it would just be I only know scrum we are just doing scrum and that is all we're going to home in on and we will not look at anything else maybe then that would be an appropriate title but I don't think there's a, ever a, a time where that would be a good attitude to have so yeah I reckon change it <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Thank you for your thoughts. I'm I'm equally on the side of, of change it just because I firmly believe that it's not a one size fits all situation. And actually, yes, a, a team may begin with Scrum, but they may begin to leverage flavors or other other elements that might borrow tenets from scaling frameworks. They might leverage Kanban instead. To me, all that matters is the outcome that they are seeking, that, that either that team, company, organization, and that those outcomes and the ways of working that they're using uh, match their situation, people, context, and culture. So it's not a one-size-all copy-and-paste situation. And yeah, I, I, I firmly believe that a Scrum Master, or at least many of the Scrum Masters out there, are probably doing more than just Scrum. So why should they be limited to just being Scrum Masters? Anyway, keeping on the topic of Scrum, uh, I know you, you are, are a fan of it and scaling Scrum in particular. So are there any ways, methods, approaches, tools or tips or tricks you would share with any of the listeners for how to scale Scrum and do Scrum well? Yeah, I guess so. Um, so, yeah, as you say, I'm a massive fan of Scrum. I think it's a great framework for like building products, uh, specifically, you know, software products. It works brilliantly. Um, but you often see that when people start to scale it, um, you lose the scrumminess, if you like. If that's even a word. So, um, so yeah, I guess I've seen, I've seen it, I've seen Scrum scale well, and not so well. Um, and I guess thinking of kind of tools and, and tips. Um, for me, it's about starting small. So you know, not kind of saying right, we want to, you know, we want to Scrum the whole company or you know, Scrum the whole tribe or whatever. Um, it's for me, it's about pulling out some, you know, one, two, small cross-functional teams that can deliver. Um, you know, a feature or some value for the customer end to end um, and getting them working really, really well, you know, getting them completely autonomous, making sure the main thing, you know, getting every skill that you need within that squad to deliver that that piece of value. And it's a lot easier said than done. Um, and I find if you, if you try and scale that straight away, um, it's really, really hard. And you, you end up kind of missing the foundations of getting that cross functionality within the team. Um, and yeah, so I think start small, um, and I think you've got to get into the core of, you know, organisational design for me. So you can, you can and people do um, do Scrum um, with like you know component teams, so front end teams, back end teams, you know, still have kind of testing teams and all that. But it, it's not proper Scrum, so we need to look at that cross functionality and that organizational design, I think, to get, you know, Scrum working really well, um, even at one kind of team level. And then once you've got that, you just need to kind of copy and paste that model, I guess. Um, and I found that I went and did the um, the large scale Scrum, so the less course a few weeks ago. Um, 
and that was really really focused on kind of like feature teams and organizational structure and all the stuff that's really hard to kind of figure out um so for me yeah that, that's the biggest thing you know take a piece of work a feature something the customer's after and make sure you've got you know a squad of people who can deliver that stuff on their own um and don't stop until you've got that that one squad and then flip to kind of scale it from there so if I was to uh, summarize what you've said there, maybe nail it before you scale it. Yes, absolutely. That fits that nicely. Like? Yeah, I'll, I'll pinch yeah. that one off you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, another one I like that's don't, don't scale spaghetti is, is someone that once said to me. So, you know, if you've got a couple of squads that are not, you know, not well-defined, they're not cross-functional, they are spaghetti, if you like. If you, you know, copy and paste that, you're just going to scale spaghetti. So we don't want to do that. We want to get things, you know, nailed, like you say, and then go up from there. Hmm. Interesting. I think the one thing I would probably disagree with you on is the copy and paste um, thing you mentioned. I think there's definitely elements of, you know, when you're trying to help a, a new team adapt or develop their ways of working, then yes, st a starting point can be a core structure, scrum. Um, but always for me always tailor how the team are working based on their own needs and their situation and their context culture people involved i think i've i've observed that copy and pasting doesn't resonate it ends up being that you're inflicting change upon people rather than inviting change um and i'm a big believer in the kind of co-creation side of things so if we think about the outcome in mind right so you're trying to help a team get better with their ways of working and the outcome is to help them get better how could we do that well scrum is one option at their disposal and if they want some you know if they want to learn some lessons from another team that's been doing it a very similar team hey here's 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 a, a bit of a, a guidance here's here's some ways they've, they've worked and let's try it for you as an experiment but absolutely let's let's learn from it quickly and let's tailor the approach to your needs rather than just uh just the copy and pasting side of things. But I'm interested to hear you went on the, yeah, the, the less course. Yeah, I was just going to say that might have been a miscommunication on my part. So when I, when I said copy and paste, so in terms of the frameworks and the methods and all that, yeah, absolutely let the team decide on that. That's their choice. Um, I think the copy and paste thing for me was get the cross-functional team together. So I think for me, like, I guess whatever framework or methodology or way of working you need, you've got to have people in that team who can get the job done. Otherwise it's just going to be kind of dependency hell. So, so yeah, absolutely. Don't copy and paste the scrum bit, you know, let the team decide how they want to work. But I think the principle of cross functionality, I think that's, that's just a nice thing to have, you know, in every team. Otherwise it is, it's going to make life tougher for them, I guess. If they, if they can't get the job themselves, they've got to find someone who can help find another team, you know, and it's, it's just dependency nightmares. And I guess so. So yeah, probably a misunderstanding on my part there with the copy and paste thing. <laughs> sure. I think one of the things that particularly resonates me about, about uh, Less, I remember reading on their website a while ago, I, I think it was something along the lines of there being no such thing as best practices, only practices that are good within a certain context. Um, and for me, the other thing that I really liked about it is some of the visuals, they, they have this great focus on experimentation. I remember seeing this almost bullseye target style visual where experiments was all around the edge. And the experimental nature of less, you know, you're continuously learning what's working based on framing something as an experiment, including your ways of working, learning from it, adjusting accordingly. To me, that, that's, that's down to how you continuously improve. To me, agility is 
you know, you, you, agility is caused by continuous improvement and continuous improvement is caused by retrospection or reflecting and adapting how, you, how you're performing. And experimentation is key to that. Yeah, absolutely. They're really big on experimentation. They've got, they've got an entire book on kind of the, the experiments that they've done as like a less community. Um, and yeah, best practice. So they kind of they hate that word, and, and I completely agree. So like, I think it stems from like Taylorism and scientific management. You know, best practice, all that copy and paste consistency stuff. And um, a word or a couple of words I like to use instead of best practice, uh, better practices, because then it's not mm-hmm. it's not something permanent. And like you say, it's about that continuous improvement, which is like massive, I guess, for agile. So yeah so much and and for me the you know the ways a team is working is an impermanent thing you know we, what i tend to encourage and emphasize is that their ways of working are just the next phase of experimentation and it's not set in stone especially for a new team right and for a new team you've got someone else coming in a coach or otherwise and, and they're saying oh you should try working this way if if they feel like it's the way they're going to work forever there'll be a huge resistance to it but if you're just saying hey we're going to try this for a few weeks and then you get to decide whether it works or not. You get to influence the direction. If we build in this experimental nature, this continuous improvement mindset, then we're not going to be working the same way forever because we're going to continuously adjust what we're doing based on what we've learned about ourselves and how we work together. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I like things like Scrum for like the built-in retros where you are literally every couple of weeks or you know, however long your sprint is looking back and saying, how are our ways of working doing? And, it's just a good opportunity to like say say right let's experiment with this for two weeks or a couple of sprints and then this is your this is your like you say it's your team it's your way of working like is this going well for you do we want to change it do we want to run a different experiment um which is is good yeah i i'm hugely passionate about continuous improvement and retrospectives as i'm, as I'm sure you're aware it's the the topic of a book that i'm currently writing that i've actually made a made some progress on now so that should hopefully be out sometime this year. And it's all about this continuous improvement. It includes lots of tips and tricks, you know, all my, my flim flam strategies, gambits and otherwise for how to create an environment of continuous improvement, but also how to run good, successful retrospectives. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing that with people. Now. Yeah, uh, nice. I'll look forward to reading it. More. Maybe maybe I'll send over, in the interest of being agile, maybe I'll send over a few chapters for you to take a look at and provide some feedback on if you're if you're open to it. Now, Absolutely, uh, very keen... I'm up for that. <laughs> Great, thanks to you. Thank you. I'm very keen to talk to you about a certain thing. Uh, and I think this was a topic that you suggested. So uh, children, the concept of maternity leave, career progression for women, uh, which I, I, I'm told is relevant because you're expecting your, your second child. How has this whole concept experience been for you in the Agile field? Yeah, sure. So I am, yes, expecting baby number two. So due in July. So we've already got a three-year-old little girl. Um, Congratulations. So yes, all going well. So thank you very much. Um, So yeah, so I guess it is important. um, And I've had quite positive experiences. Um, So I guess... Just thinking back to when I had my first little girl, Sophia, who's now three, um, I was working at a different company then, and um, yeah, I decided to take a full year's mat leave, which was amazing, so I got an entire year um, off with my little girl to enjoy her kind of growing up to age one, and that was something that, that for me, was the right thing to do. Um, I know, you know lots of women decide to go back earlier or take even longer, so everyone's different, aren't they, and kind of 
it's great that we live in a world now where we can kind of have that choice of mm-hmm. you know taking less time more time and and companies that kind of uh, are really flexible so the, the company i worked with was really flexible so i took the year um and i've done um unofficially probably about a year's worth of, of scrum mastery um with them prior to going on mat leave so we'd um started the first couple of, of kind of scrum teams at that company they'd not done scrum before um i was the first kind of scrum master there and um yeah we've got things going really nicely um and then obviously i went off on, on maternity leave and i guess coming back it was you know um a mixture of feelings really obviously i'm going to miss my little girl but i'm quite career driven as well so i was looking forward to getting back into things but i'd not actually got um, a permanent job as a scrum master so although i'd been doing scrum and i'd learned about scrum and we'd got a couple of squads and and we'd got them delivering some really nice features and stuff um, my official role was still project manager because that's that's where i started i started off in mm-hmm. traditional you know waterfall project management within tech um so i thought well you know i'll come back now and i've kind of almost you know lost that year and i'll be back to kind of project management but um i came in on a kick day actually keeping in touch day and um i met with um the digital development manager who i'd kind of done the, the scrum and squad work with um and he just wanted to have a chat um and it was actually at my kit day, so my keeping in touch day, that I was actually offered a promotion up to being the scrum master. Um, so it was a really, really positive experience for me because I just thought, well, you know, we talk about obviously things like maternity leave and children slowing things down for women, which I think they do because inevitably you are taking time off um, and you are missing out. You've got a year where you're not at work. Um, but actually this particular digital development manager had kind of recognized what I'd been doing prior to me going off um, they had brought in the role as a, of a permanent scrum master at that company which didn't exist before um, and you know he basically said look we liked what you were doing before this is out there and I thought to myself great but he's never going to let me take it because I want to I want to be part-time I want to come back three days uh, as opposed to five um, and actually he just looked me in the eyes and said that's fine and I couldn't believe it so like my confidence was thinking you know I'm thinking no chance, you know, I'm not going to be able to be a scrum master. It's a new permanent role. They're the first one. They're going to want someone full time doing this. And actually, it was just amazing for this, you know, male manager to just go, no, that's fine. We know you can do the job three days. You know, it's kind of yours. You've got the experience. So that was really positive for me. Um, and I think a video that I, I tend to kind of look at or look back at um, is a Cheryl Sandberg video about... Um, I think the title is something around like, you know, women in leadership or why we don't have enough women in leadership. And she talks about this concept of not leaving before you leave. Um, So, you know, as a woman or I guess a guy, you might start thinking when you're you're looking at having a family, you know, right, okay, so I've got this, for example, now I've got three months left at at my, you know, job before I stop for mat leave. And you start to wind down and think, oh, I won't go for that promotion because I'm having a baby in a year's time or I don't want to get into a too stressful a job because I'm having a baby in a year or so. And she's saying even like five years prior to kind of having a family, women are kind of thinking, well, I know I've got that family step coming up, so I don't want to take too big of a leap. Um, Mm. And I think that video really resonates with me. And and this time especially, you know, I've tried to keep involved in loads of different initiatives of work. I'm not leaving before I leave. So literally up until the last day of mat leave i'll be doing you know things like this getting involved in different projects um you know putting myself out there and volunteering 
still going and doing my training courses and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's a really important topic. And I do think it can, you know, slow women down if you're, you're having children and you, take, you decide to take the, the time off. Um, but also, on the other hand, I think we live in a great kind of world today. And when you've got managers like I had before that, you know, recognise you for what you do and don't, you know, hold things against you like the fact that you want to come back part time, I think, you know, we are in a really good place, which is nice. So it's very heartening to hear you've had such a, a great experience with it. And it sounds like there's a, a good video there. Uh, what was the name, sorry? It was, it was Don't Leave Before so You Leave. Cheryl by... Sandberg. Cheryl Sandberg. Yeah, it's Cheryl Sandberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's about, yeah, women in leadership. So I'll, um, I can find it and send you a link if you want to add it to kind of when this podcast comes out. Uh, but it's a really good one. It's a really, really good one. I watch it when I need inspiration. So. There we go. Something to inspire anyone who is facing a similar scenario in the coming future and uh, some some thing, things to think about. Don't leave before you leave. Wonderful. OK, so another topic I had in mind for you and I to discuss was around dyslexia. And you believe that dyslexia uh, is a, a great work. Dyslexia isn't something that hinders a scrum master, agile coach or leader. And, and for someone who, who has dyslexia, um it can't it isn't necessarily a limiting factor so tell me a little bit more about uh, your experiences with dyslexia and the the scrum master or agile coaching role sure so yeah so i do have dyslexia and i didn't find out so i think i was about 25 so coming up to 10 years ago and i'll give my age away um so yeah um so obviously not diagnosed through school or anything like that so often growing up thinking, you know, you know, I'm a stupid, I'm a dumb because I couldn't spell kind of quickly and it took me a little bit longer to process information. Um, but always kind of knew in the back of my head I wasn't because I got stuff and I had really good ideas. But for some reason, I just couldn't get, you know, things like spelling. Um, so, yeah, I read, actually ended up reading a book, uh, Richard Branson's book, um, all about Virgin and how the company kind of got going. And uh, he's dyslexic and he was kind of talking about um, these different ways of thinking he had about kind of, you know, you always want to see things at the high level. He, um, you know, he didn't really want to hear about detail, but he could kind of see patterns and look at the high level really quickly. Um, and there's just a lot of things that he was saying in that book. I just started thinking, this is me, this is me. Um, so much so that I thought I'm going to, I'm going to book a blooming private dyslexic test here because I was like this is actually like my life um other than I'm not a billionaire <laughs> so um I booked it and yeah it came back that I am I am dyslexic so that was for me just a massive relief because obviously I'd I'd you know kind of grown up thinking you know maybe I was just not not good at spelling or I don't know just wasn't quite as, as quick as some other people and um actually it was just a big relief for me um and I guess in terms of kind of agile and, and kind of what we do, I suppose it's a bit of a dream, really. If you say to a dyslexic, do you want to look at, you know, 200 page requirements document or do you want to look at some nice, succinct post-it notes on a board? Uh, straight away, it's like, yeah, definitely the post-it notes. That makes sense. Um, so, yeah. Um, so it's been a, a bit of a journey. Like I say, a nice relief to kind of find out a little bit later in life. Wish I'd have known obviously younger um but i think yeah there's a really good book i'm just trying to grab it actually oh. yeah this um if you can see this is dyslexia okay. probably don't this is dyslexia. um 
yeah, by Kate Griggs. Um, and it's basically talking about the strengths that dyslexic ha dyslexics have rather than kind of weaknesses. So yeah, we struggle with typos and spelling, but actually we make really, really good leaders. Um, you know, we're really good at kind of communication. Um, our emotional intelligence is kind of off the scale. Um, they actually recruit, um, they're actually recruiting dyslexics now. So in, in places like um, Secret Service, MI5, they will actually hunt for dyslexics because we've got a way of thinking that neurodiversity to find patterns and see things that, you know, a normal brain, if you like, wouldn't see as quickly as us. So there's lots of different, um, like superpowers, she calls them basically in, in this book that we have. And I think it works really nicely in terms of like, you know, agile ways of working, like leadership um, and, and coaching. For me, there's certain skills that I've got that I can now go, yeah, I, I do think differently to other people. I notice that now, and that is a strength for me. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think it's it's come a long way. I think people are recognising it in different ways. You've got champions like Kate Briggs all over it now. Um, and, yeah, I definitely recommend if you are dyslexic, like agile coaching, It's it plays to my strengths. Um, I don't need to get bogged down into the detail. Um, I can kind of see where issues are and improvements are at like a high level quite quickly um, and work with my teams then who, who do get into detail. You know, the software engineers couldn't be more detailed in the roles they do um, to get, I guess, the outcomes that we're, we're after as a team. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing your experiences there. Uh, I love that it's being destigmatized. So uh, I am a believer in neurodiversity. You know, the, the podcast has it as a, a bit of a theme. I'm trying to host people from various walks of life, um, neurodivergent people being part of that. Uh, for anyone who has read the book Rebel Ideas by Matthew Syed, it emphasizes the importance of having a diverse group of people together. And the consequence of doing so is innovation and different thinking. If you think back to how the CIA typically in the past used to recruit primarily middle-class white people and that narrowed and blinkered them to the possibilities of some of the things that could happen in the world like the likes of 9-11 and now neurodivergence and the importance of it is becoming increasingly prominent um, in how you structure teams and how you lead organizations and otherwise i recently observed that linkedin in particular has added the dyslexic thinkers badge or label to its profiles enabling someone to claim that as their superpower as you say to destigmatize it, but also to flip the emphasis and, and reinforce that those with dyslexia have strengths, as you say, superpowers in being creative problem solvers and great communicators. So I love that you've shared your, your story there and your journey with it. It sounds great. It sounds like a, there is potential for anyone who has dyslexia to be a great agile coach, scrum master or leader. And I think the other thing I really want to highlight is that it shouldn't be a limiting belief, a limiting factor on you pursuing a career in those industries or in those roles. Absolutely, that's it, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just about doing things a little bit differently. So I could always remember trying to get onto the graduate programme at the, the kind of first um, organisation that I joined. And I knew I wanted to be a leader and I knew I'd be good at it deep down, uh, but I couldn't pass the plumbing test. Like, it was just impossible for me. Um, and I think I gave them like three goes and I'm like, right, it's not wrapping. I didn't I didn't get on the graduate programme, but um, you just have to go in a different direction and think, well, that's where I want to be. I can't get it through that route. It's not working for my brain. So I'm going to get it through a different route. And yeah, you can absolutely go, you know, do agile coaching and this kind of world with dyslexia. It's 
yeah, it's a good good move. Amazing. Now, I'm just going to draw attention to something. So anyone listening uh, on Audible, Spotify or otherwise won't be able to see that behind Rebecca right now, she has a series of wardrobes that look very, very white. They almost look like whiteboards. Question, can you write on those or are they just a spot for post-it notes? <laughs> so I've not tried to write on the, the wardrobes. So the wardrobes were fitted before, prior to COVID, and we all worked in offices and everything. Well, I certainly did. Um, but then, obviously, I work from home now most of the time, which I enjoy doing. It's uh, I've got a hybrid role, but my teams are at home. I'm at home, so I'm happy to be at home. Um, the shiny, the white, I do stick post-it notes all over them. I've not tried writing on them. I feel like I really need to try this now. I feel so like I need to do this without my other half knowing. Yeah, I'd be so tempted to get out of like, 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 pen and start drawing something. But that, that's what I, it's, yeah, I'm I'm so shiny, it's reflective. It looks like a whiteboard. It looks like your, your whole office is built yeah. built with whiteboard walls. I'm tempted to, you know, do it live now and just scribble with a Sharpie. But if it doesn't come off, my other half will never forgive me. So I'll give it a test in a small corner later, I think, and uh, discover if I can. Tiny, tiny, yeah, area, tiny area. Nice, small experiment. Don't, yeah. don't do <laughs> Excellent. So you mentioned earlier you are in a, a remote or a bit of a hybrid role. Um, I'm a huge believer that agility is possible wherever you are in the world, uh, hence the, the virtual agile coach title and brand or moniker that I give myself. What is your top tip or bit of advice you'd give to anyone who is performing in a scrum master or coaching role to enable their teams to be successful, regardless of where they're based in terms of location? Hmm. So I guess, I suppose it depends on the team, really. Um, I mean, for me, it's obviously working with the team to understand how they want to work. So like I say, I'm in a hybrid role. Um, we've got the choice. We've got a really nice uh, fancy office in Leeds we can go to if we want to, or we can, you know, work from home. And most of the engineers on my team, they're quite happy. They want to be at home. We've got some people based down in London, some that are up north. Um, so I'd say... Top tip for me is I think sometimes the thing that, that gets a little bit lost with working from home is kind of building that that kind of rapport and trust and just having those little conversations. So like, for example, when we're in the office, you'd go to a meeting, you'd come out of a meeting, you'd have five minutes to watch the next meeting, you'd have a quick chat, um, you might grab a coffee, you might talk a little bit about family or, you know, how your friends are or what you've been up to at the weekend. And I think that can get a little bit lost when you are remote because you do tend to you know you start your meeting you're straight on up talking about work and then it ends and then you're back at home on your own in your office so I think a top tip would be to try and still cultivate that that kind of trust and rapport within your team by um building in some time virtually so we um something we do is every couple of weeks we have what we call a virtual coffee um and that's just basically half an hour uh, per scrum team so I work with a couple of teams um, and it, the rule is no talk about work, and we just rock up, cameras on, and we just talk about anything that's not work, basically. And if we kind of mention work, we give some, you know, nasty um, things out. Um, so, so yeah, so that's a tip. And then if if people want to as well, um, and you're not, you know, too distant in terms of geography, then um, we still like to meet up for lunch every so often. Um, or go out, you know, for some drinks. I mean, I can't drink at the moment, unfortunately, but we have, we've got people up from London and we've met 
um, and just gone out and had something to eat and just had a few drinks. And we just keep that to kind of quarterly, um, just for that team building thing, really. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be my top tips, just try and build in a little bit of time for what you kind of miss now when you're walking from meeting room to meeting room or, um, yeah. Like it. Yeah. So big believer in creating time for personal interaction. We are humans behind our devices, our laptops, our machines. We're not just avatars on a screen and we crave community and, and we're social creatures. We are gregarious in nature. So making time for it in the workplace is very important. And I like the fact that you are emphasizing doing so. Uh, one similar thing I've done in the past uh, with the time, with a virtual coffee space, and there's a great template on the Miroverse called the Challenge Bowl. And it's just a, a bowl, a, a bowl on a physical screen with lots of post-its inside. And you choose a number and there's different colors, what colored ones. But some of them are just random thought-provoking questions. Some of them are just silly questions. Some of them you actually physically have to challenge and do something like create a new yoga position and demonstrate it on camera. It's just a bit silly, but it's a, a, almost a structured way of creating a non-work chat that I've found can be a little bit fun. The other one I like to do is that I try to dedicate the first few minutes of every meeting that I'm involved in for personal interaction. So whether that's just ask, asking, answering, sorry, sorry, a silly icebreaker question like, um, you know, what animal legs would you have and why? Or what's a perfect day look like to you or whatever it may be? And you can even like nominate one person to think of the question one day and then choose the next person to do it. So it's a rotational basis. But yeah, I like I like building time for personal interaction. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, um, yeah, I might have to those off. Yeah, I was going to say we we did the, we kind of do the icebreaker one sometimes because it was actually um, we asked just asked the question what do you have for breakfast, and I couldn't believe like not everybody in the world knows what a full English breakfast is. Obviously, that's just me being ignorant. But we had some people on from like uh, Canada, Toronto, and I was like, oh yeah, you know my favorite breakfast is full English, and they were like, what's a full English breakfast? I was like. Does not everybody know what a full English is? <laughs> so yeah, yes, it, it does get. How do you know what a full English breakfast is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, I'm still like, to me, it's crazy that you can have massive stacks of pancakes for breakfast and things like that. It just feels like so much carbs. But hey, to each their own. Everyone has a preference. Now, I understand you have your own YouTube channel also, Candid Agile. Tell me more about this. And I, if I do recall, there was a couple of videos about the concept of a scrum mum. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Candid Agile, I have to be honest, I've not posted any videos on there for a while just because I've been jumping into a new organisation and um, I need to get back to doing it basically because I did enjoy kind of getting stuff on there. Um, but basically, it was just a channel set up that kind of likes to talk about agility, um, really honestly and frankly, so like no bullshit, basically. So that was the idea behind the channel. Um, and yeah, I did start off talking about Scrum Mum. I think I did a couple of episodes, um, just thinking back to the organisation I was working with at the time. But yeah, so basically, just the concept of, you know, don't be a Scrum Mum, let the teams kind of figure things out for themselves so I think I gave a couple of examples of like you know when you've got someone technical on your team um, and they're wanting um, you know some information from someone else technical who might not be part of the squad um, and you end up as a scrum master or I have ended up in the past going to a different technical team and trying to translate you know engineering language and try and understand what what kind of people on my team are after and 
it's almost like don't be a scrum mum, you know, let the team figure things out for themselves. If they want something from another team, they've got legs or they've got slack in this day and age, like, you know, go get it. Um, and I guess it goes back to things like, you know, scrum masters sometimes can be seen as like admin, can't they? You know, Jira mm. admin, they just come and facilitate the, the events. That's all we do, all that sort of stuff. So I think those videos were very much a time where I was seeing quite a lot of that behaviour. Um, and I was kind of learning that that's, that's not kind of a good scrum mastery and it doesn't actually help the team. Uh, because they're never they're never learning they're never kind of becoming autonomous and all that sort of good stuff that we want them to be um so that was the concept of scrum mum uh, if i remember from those those couple of videos they're still on there if anyone wants to go back and have a watch nice so the the videos are on youtube and the channel is called candid agile this as you said a no bullshit approach to agility very cool like it so, uh, as always on every episode of the podcast, I ask the guest to give me a new format. Now, I'm diversifying things a little bit and I'm going to open it out. So, I always in the past have asked for someone to add a new retrospective template to my backlog, but I'm, bro- I'm branching out a little bit, Rebecca. Um, so, you may add a new retrospective theme to my backlog, or you can just challenge me to do what I do and create a thematic template about any agile ceremony, meeting or otherwise, or something within the agile sphere that could just do with a little bit of zhuzhing up and creative thinking. So what do you have for me? What's going on the backlog? Oh, right. Okay. You've mixed things up now. You mix things up. Um, kind of a think. So I had, I had a couple of ideas for retros. Um, but then I'm also thinking it might be nice to like spice up something like sprint planning or. Um, well, I've, yeah. I have recently been creating uh, re- or templates around co-creation of sprint goals in, again, a thematic way. So I did a, a movie themed one and a, a, a music themed one around creation, creation of sprint goals, thinking of them experiments. So there was that the music one was all around. Yeah. Music. So we had Lego house, which was, you know, Ed Sheeran and what are the building blocks of our you know our sprint how how should it be structured uh we had other ones like one vision from queen what's the vision we're going after at the end of the sprint what are the outcomes we're seeking so i'm definitely looking at different ways to yeah create way create different ways of doing things yeah definitely definitely yeah it's not because i like that because i know i've seen a lot of the retro stuff that you're doing and retros are a great one for creativity out there but i do think definitely like some of the other events it'd be nice to get a bit more creative with them as well so I guess I can give you the themes I've thought of and then um yeah I guess you can pick which what right. you'd like to, to go with us first. Go, so, go with the theme and I'll, I'll think about the best place to apply it yeah so I've got three <laughs> so three. I didn't know whether this one already so I've got so I did before pregnancy I was or have been a a bit of a professional kickboxer um okay. obviously i'm not kicking anyone at the moment so kickboxing was one but i didn't know if you've had anything around martial arts before see i feel like i remember something around martial arts but um i know a gent called dave westgarth who today released a rocky as in rocky balboa themed retrospective yeah. Yeah. so there are there are others out there yeah, in yeah. space creating thematic templates dave westgarth being one of them so rocky rocky is one option cool. what else Sorry, yeah, so, so kickboxing. Yeah, and then for a really tough one for you, 
due to the fact I'm pregnant, I thought, could you create a retro around pregnancy? And I thought that might be a really challenging one. Um, could be quite interesting talking about different trimesters and all that sort of stuff. So that, that's one for you to decide whether you whether you dare to uh, enter that world of a pregnancy retro. Um, and then I just wine and cheese because I'm missing wine and cheese. Obviously, can't drink wine at the moment, and there's a lot of cheese you can't eat when you're pregnant as well. So I think that was just me missing wine and cheese, really. <laughs> I can definitely appreciate that. If my life was bereft of wine and cheese, I would be very unhappy. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. Okay, so I've got <laughs> I've got three potential things there. Thank you for adding those. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show today, Rebecca. Um, for anyone who is listening, we are always looking for new guests to appear on the show. So do reach out if you'd like to be involved. We have a growing Slack community of practice, which you can grab the invite link from my website at www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk. It would be great to have you involved. As always, folks, don't stop believing. And thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and insights today, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thanks, Chris. All right. Bye-bye. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.